Finishing sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. If you have more than $50 million in assets, this is the ultra-rich, you're going to have to pay 2% a year of that amount over $50 million. I know my motivation is to tell the truth, and I will affirm that what is in the indictment about me is uh, accurate, and I will affirm that if asked to in court. How late in the third trimester would you be able to do, to do that? The third trimester goes all the way up to 40 weeks. I don't think we have a limit in the bill. And now, Stacy Washington. Welcome to the program. Thank you for being here and for joining us uh, and for sticking around on the phone lines. I want to go right to you, Mike in Virginia. Thank you for holding on. What's your comment? Hey, Stacy, how are you doing? Pretty good. Hey, thank you for your ministry. Words of truth in the name of Jesus. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, um, I, I, the, um, fifteen years. Uh, we are losing audio on him, and so I'm going to see if a, our producer or a call screener can kind of help him clean that up. Let's go to Tina in Illinois while we work on Mike. Uh, Tina, thank you for calling the show today. Hi, uh, Stacy. Love your show. Thank you. I wanted to share that um, my heart is aggrieved and that it's, it's, you know what's going on and it's not. There's a problem with you. But I also wanted to share that we have a God of... Um, uh, love of uh, change, and um, he has brought me through many major things. He has brought me out of homosexuality. He has brought me through um, liver failure without a transplant. The doctor had said for sure I would be dead within a few years, and it's been 20 years. And um, my doctors say that I completely had a miracle that... Today, you can't tell that I have the disease that I do, and um, death is on the march, but uh, we have a God that is full of life and gives new life, and um, sometimes you have to go through some darkness before you have the, the rainbow. Thank you for that encouragement, Tina. I... I uh... What an amazing story of redemption and healing that you're able to share. And that is encouraging. And thank you for that. I'm, I'm going to just say, you know, God has already laid out for us what we can do. We're never too far gone for him to turn away from his wrath and, and to allow us to, uh, you know, avoid the full measure of his judgment. And the verse that I keep going back to over and over and over again is Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. That is everything right now. But we have to do what now? Humble ourselves, pray, seek God's face, turn from our wicked ways. Then he steps in and starts making the necessary changes. We need, we need reconciliation and redemption and healing. We need revival. We need all of that if we're going to come against this onslaught, because it's clear that just reasoning with these people isn't enough. And I'll tell you why we've already reasoned with them. We already said back when it was supposed to be safe, legal and rare that it was still wrong. And we were shouted down then. 
And now they're just going around us. And it's just a couple of votes in each house of the legislature in Virginia that will mean the difference between them uh, literally killing babies, the same babies they used to put on commercials, uh, you know, the newborn wrapped really tightly swaddled and handed from the the dad to the mom or the mom to the grandma. And, you know, all those commercials about how uh, formula was best for your baby or whatever. It's not what they were selling. It's the fact that they used to regularly show human newborns and, you know, very young infants on television. And it was just everything you could do not to try to jump through your TV and get, you know, grab one of the little juicy feet or legs and just squeeze the little baby. Now we're here. Um, So let's go to Iris in Texas. Iris, thank you so much for calling Um, the show today. Thank you, Stacey. It's awesome. I'm glad um, that you're doing this ministry. It's absolutely amazing. But I wanted to make three points. Um, I was a product of the 50s. My older sister had many illegal abortions in Michigan that I saw her nearly bleed to death many times. She became a Christian in her later life and changed that around as soon as I gave my heart to Christ um, almost 37 years ago. My life completely changed, and I saw, and I've been an advocate and a part of the Pregnancy Resource Center in the Dal- in one of the local um, suburbs of Dallas ever, si- ever since then, for the last um, almost 12, 13 years since they've been open. But the other thing I was going to say was that my, um, and, and, that, uh, and, and my um, niece also, um, because she saw what her mother did, she did the very same thing, but that's where that curse stopped. And um, my, um, my gra- I have two granddaughters that will be 11 on February 15th, and they were, they were um, babies born at barely 27 weeks, and they fought for their lives for 11 weeks in the NICU unit. And I've seen both sides, and I know how precious life is now. And um, I am going to do what God has told me to do, which is contend for our faith and contend for the nation and contend for the newborn. And I know that's your heart, and I believe that's the heart of your listeners. Thank you for listening to me. Thank you, Iris. Thank you for telling um, your, your testimony and your story um, for sharing that on the air. It's so meaningful because I think, I, I know, I'm not, I don't think, and I know it because people message me, why are you talking about illegals? You never talk about black crime. Why are you saying, you know, these things about people who believe in pro-choice? Why are you demonizing them? Why don't you ever comment about this thing or that thing, which I have. I mean, there's really no subject I haven't, you know, waxed poetic on on the program but the testimony that Iris has given and that, uh, uh, you know, when callers ca- call in and share that, their heart, that can be much more impactful than the reporting that I'm doing. And whether, you, I, I don't care what part of it moves you. What I care about is that as Christians, for those of us in the audience, for, for those of us who are communicating here on a daily basis, who know the Lord, this is on us to be praying about this issue to be fasting about this issue, to be in the pew on Sundays and to tell other people why we believe what we believe, to pray for the unbelievers in our sphere of influence and to believe that God can turn this around. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Um, I want to go to Mike in Virginia. I know we had tried to get on the, the line together. Mike, thank you for calling into the show. Hey, um, sorry about earlier. But, oh, that's no um, problem. Thank you for taking my call. Yeah. Hey, um, so, so, so abortion is something, you know, my wife and I, we've been believers for about 15 years. And prior to that, it wasn't something that we really thought 
uh, that much about. Um, in fact, we weren't really convicted on pro-choice lines for or pro-life lines. And so, so, but, but you know, faith in in, in God has is clearly there is no there is no um, there's nothing but life, right? You choose life, and and frankly, when when a woman decides to to, to abort her child, I mean that's a sin, and so um, that's something that I believe is 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 very personal between the woman and God, right? That's something that that God can deal with in their lives if they repent of that and things like that. But, but a government sanctioning this is, is absolutely atrocious. Right. And so, so, but we as taxpayers to this government, we are actually funding this, this, um, this practice. And so by paying taxes to the United States government, we are funding abortion. And that is whether you believe that it should be legal or you believe that it should not be legal. And so if you look at things like the slave trade in England, I mean, the mm-hmm. things that really ended these, these atrocities, it was a financial impact. It eventually became financially prohibitive for people to be doing this. And so right now, the, the only reason why we have abortion in mass like we do is because it is financially viable for Planned Parenthood and any other provider, right? So, so they are they are reaping the re- the rewards of people, quote unquote, reaping the rewards. But they're they're taking money that we have earned and that the government has has taken from us. Mm-hmm. Well, so it is it is profitable. Is, they they do turn a profit. I was reporting on that last week. They turn a multi million dollar profit on a yearly basis. So the money that we give to them helps them turn a profit doing abortions. Just wanted to interject that. So I have a, so I have a question then. If if that is the case, and I am totally against paying taxes to fund abortion, well, what if if there are as many people that believe that abortion should not be paid for by the government? Let's pull the legality off of the table for this for a moment. But if we just say, well, okay, so it's it's legal on the land. That's very unfortunate, but. If all of a sudden we say we will not pay taxes to a government who uses our money to be able to fund this abortion, will not then the funding have to come off the table for these abortion uh, providers? And then you could look at possibly, you know, getting once once they don't have the monies by which to perform this, then eventually, just like the slave trade or other things like that 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 will inherently go away because as you know this this nation is not a nation of repentance at the moment we are no no are, not at all not at all um, okay so a couple things you said there um first of all if you don't pay your taxes then the IRS comes after you for enforcement and you can eventually be placed in jail lose your home lose your assets etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, they're going to get their money now the, the issue that we have is actually a little simpler than that, um, than people who, you know, 62 million people who voted for Donald Trump, let's say 90% of them are fully pro-life, you know, and uh, they stopped paying taxes. Yeah, that would be an interesting concept to see the IRS try to do enforcement on 60 million people. But uh, it's bigger than that. We're electing people who don't want to defund Planned Parenthood, and that's why it's still funded. When the Republicans are in control... They don't defund Planned Parenthood because they're afraid of the Democrats and because they really don't that not all of them are against Planned Parenthood funding or abortion. 
Um, we don't elect people who truly believe what we believe. That's the first thing. And the second thing is that the sin of abortion being eradicated from our nation's legal system, meaning that it's lawful, the fight is on right now. Democrats see more and more of the millennials who, no matter what their political persuasion, they believe a baby is a baby. And the reason is because of technology. They know that their little brother or sister was operated on in the womb and they're alive today because of Dr. Harris or Dr. This person or Dr. That person. They know their mom was pregnant. Right away, she puts a picture of the ultrasound up on on the, the screen. Some of them, they go with the mom to the medical appointments and they feel the baby kicking. And it's just so much more real now. And for people who have an abortion, this, it used to be that people truly believe, women believed that it was a clump of cells. That's not really the case anymore. And Planned Parenthood nor the Democrats really try to hide that. They say, you know, that baby's not wanted, so it needs to be aborted. That's the language they now use. They no longer hide it and couch it. Um, you propose a very radical solution, which is to stop paying taxes, and it would put a lot on the line. And, and the question is, you know, is that what God would have us to do? Um, to stop the scourge of abortion. And when you think about how many millions, 18 states worth of Americans have been aborted, um, you know, the, the sheer magnitude of the carnage would say, yeah, we should stop paying our taxes. I don't know how many people you would find that would be willing to do that. But praying about it and fighting in, within the bounds of the legal system and our legislative systems I believe we have to change hearts and minds one at a time. We have to go to people and convince them that what they believe about abortion is wrong. The same way they try to come to us and convince us that everybody who's a Republican is a racist. I still have people literally stop me. You know what? I just can't believe you support um, the racists. And they just try to convince me. And I'm like, so I'm a racist too. Well, you are supporting a racist, and, and I don't know why. And I'm just so disturbed by you. They, I've had people who honestly have never had me over to their house for dinner try to call me on the carpet in public and say that I've disappointed them by supporting Donald Trump when they support abortion. And the last time it happened recently, I was actually so dumbfounded by being called on the carpet by someone who has no right to tell me what she thinks about my opinions I didn't even have the proper response, which should have been, you stop supporting abortion first, then come at me. So we got a long way to go on it. It's a radical concept. Uh, we'll take more phone calls and we'll be right back with our guest. Stay there. Are you still stuck on the healthcare roller coaster? Still paying those high premiums? And strapped into huge deductibles? Not knowing what's around the next turn? Well, then let me tell you about a sound, sensible healthcare choice that really is affordable. It's MediShare, the healthcare sharing solution people like you have been trusting in for more than 25 years. MediShare members report saving around $500 a month on their healthcare costs, and they never pay for things they don't believe in. Time to say goodbye to that healthcare roller coaster and say hello to MediShare. Call star star 345 to find out how much you can save on your healthcare. MediShare. Call star star 345. Message and data rates may apply. That's star star 345. 
This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. One book that is often quoted and deserves to be read is The Coddling of the American Mind. We invited the co-author, Jonathan Haidt, on the Point of View radio talk show to discuss his book. It began when he sat down with his co-author a number of years ago to make sense of what was happening on college campuses. They decided to write an article about it for The Atlantic with the title, Arguing Towards Misery, How Campuses Teach Cognitive Distortions. The editor suggested the more provocative title, The Coddling of the American Mind. The piece was one of the most viewed articles of all time and then was expanded to this book. Three untruths are the foundation of the book. The first is the untruth of fragility. What doesn't kill you makes you weaker. Nietzsche's original aphorism was, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. The younger generation has turned this idea on its head. It is true that some things are fragile, like china teacups, while other things are resilient and can withstand shocks. But we also note that some things are anti-fragile. In other words, they actually require stressors and challenges to grow. Our immune system is like that, and university education is supposed to be like that. Students are supposed to be challenged by new ideas not locked away in safe spaces. Unfortunately, most young people have been protected by a culture that promotes safetyism. It has become a cult of safety that is obsessed with eliminating threats, whether real or imagined, to the point where fragility becomes expected and routine. And while this is true for the millennial generation, it is even more true for the iGen generation who are even more obsessed with safety. We are indeed seeing the coddling of the American mind. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple or Google Play stores. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for being with us today. We are um, just moving through all of this content. Um, we have so much that we want to discuss. What I'd love to do is um, I'd love to go. We have one more caller, William in Georgia. I'd like to go to him while we're working on getting our guests together. William, thank you so much for calling the show today. Hey, how you doing? Good. Hey. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, I, this is the thing I don't understand. Um, um, this uh, a couple of days ago, I went to go see my sister in Tampa, Florida. Her and her husband just had a couple of twin girls. You know, they no more than a little bit old. And and I and I looked at them, and I'm thinking to myself, how in the world do people even have the audacity to just want to destroy somebody like that? And you know, and and you know, the the way the way things are nowadays, it's almost like these people's hearts are so dark they don't even have a conscience anymore. When yeah, when you when you have a when you, when the rights of an animal has more rights than a baby or a live human being, that's the issue with that. And now I tax dollars are paying for that. I have a big issue with that. I, and it thank just really, you. Really, really, really burns my spirit. Thank you. That's what that's the point that I was trying to make earlier when talking about. Um, you know, you you have somebody in your family who has a baby, and you're talking about twins. So there's two little people just laying there, and you think to yourself, I don't know. What what are they seeing? What am I missing here about this being a person? Because when the first thing, one of the first things you notice if you're not a parent, and you know this about other people, you know that any person that you deal with, it's a it's a spirit in a body, you know, that has a brain, you know, has a soul, but it's a spirit. You know that when you talk to people, 
when they disagree with you, when they agree with you, when they laugh, when they express themselves, you know that they are an individual entity. And But it's, it's not like that happens when they're 6 or 16 or 20. It's immediate. The, one of the first things I noticed about our daughter when she was a baby was how she was, she was very focused as a baby. And she would be like whatever she was doing, she was very focused on that one thing. And so much so that when we had our second child, what I noticed about him was that he was so much more laid back and relaxed. It's not that he couldn't focus on things, but he was just so relaxed about it. She was very, very, she, she does have kind of, um, she's kind of artistic, so she's very type A. She's very focused, very, you know, she can get anxious about things not going according to plan. And she's been like that since the very first moment I met her face to face. Everything, the way she nursed, the way she slept, the way she played, everything was like that. That is who she has been from the very first moment. Our son has been pretty laid back and he's not changed at all. That has been his affect the entire time I've known this boy. He has just been that way. We had our third child. So she's completely different from the first two. You can tell they're related and that they're siblings, but she is completely different from her older sister and from our son. She has a completely different way about her, her spirit, everything about her. It's uniquely her. And you see that about the baby the moment you first lay eyes on them. It's kind of crazy because when you recognize that as a parent, you are recognizing the creation that God has placed in your care. And to say that you could destroy it for convenience, especially at that point. I mean, it's one thing for us to, you know, for, for American women to be deceived into thinking it's just a clump of cells. It's not a big deal. You're, you're not to 24 weeks. It's nothing. Or you're only four months. It's nothing. But it's another thing to say, here's a baby that's literally presenting itself to you and what you're seeing, whether it's screaming as hard as it can or whether it's just whimpering a little bit and falling asleep immediately, that whatever the baby is like, it's still okay to destroy it. It's still okay to snuff out that person. We're in a really different place right now as a country. Um, so let's go to Steve in Illinois. Steve, thank you so much for calling the show. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? I, I got... Uh, I listened to the other caller, and he was talking about taxes. And um, I've got a little idea I want to throw across to you here. It says in Romans 13, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Now, you go to the Declaration of Independence, and if you read the, the Declaration, it says that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just power from the consent of the governed. Now, if you go down further into the Declaration of Independence, you have the grievances that the people put against the, uh, the king. And mm -hmm. those were the grievances that we're not supposed to uh, uh, have anymore. Those were the grievances, and that's why our, our Constitution was created. And in there, it says that the king should not tax the people without their consent. So you put all that together. And like the other caller said, if we're having taxes taken from us and they're used in an evil way, a wicked way, I think we have the right to withhold our taxes. Just a thought. Well, 
Yeah, I don't I don't disagree. I I actually I didn't disagree with him and I don't disagree with you. But the issue is that we've all seen what happens. Uh, Al Sharpton owed four and a half million dollars. He was allowed to roam free. He's still got a TV show that liberals went on television and said, who cares what tax Al Sharpton pays? Um, certain stars in Hollywood, same thing. Other stars in Hollywood who aren't popular have gone to prison for not paying tax. Uh, admittedly, it's huge sums of money that they didn't pay. I just, I think it would have to be in mass in order for there not to be kind of horrible prosecution to deter others. It would have to be hundreds of thousands of people not paying their taxes to protest abortion. It couldn't just be one or two or 10 or a hundred. It'd have to be hundreds of thousands. I agree with you on the, the, uh, the merit and what the Bible says and what the constitution says. That's not in dispute for me. I, I, I totally think it's a, a viable option and thank you so much for the call, Steve. I appreciate it. Um, so now I'm giving my producer another number for our guest. I think we had some phone issues. And so uh, just give me just one second here, 2403. Okay. Um, and my producer can try that number and hopefully we'll be able to get our guest. While we are waiting on that, um, let's listen to this audio from um, Matthew Whitaker announcing that the Mueller investigation is nearly over. This is important because here's where the humiliation train comes in. And I'm not trying to be gloaty or anything, honestly, but it, it, there has to be a reaction to an action in it has to be equal or therefore somewhere in that zone. Um, so let's listen to Whitaker announcing this. I mean, fundamentally, uh, the Mueller investigation has a very defined um, uh, scope. And, uh, you know, it, so anything outside of that scope would have to either be the scope would have to be enhanced to bring uh, additional matters uh, to be investigated by the Mueller investigation. But obviously, the, if it's not given to that investigation by an, a, an increasing in the scope of the investigation, it would be retained by uh, the Department of Justice. Um, you know, we have, we take very seriously um, lying to Congress. And if there are referrals made by by the appropriate committees, uh, as is ordinary course for, for matters like this, then we would investigate that uh, as we would anything else. You know, I've been fully briefed on the investigation, and, uh, you know, I look forward to uh, Director Mueller um, delivering the final report, and I uh, really am not going to talk about uh, open and ongoing investigation otherwise, but, you know, sort of the statements that I made were as a private citizen, only with publicly available information. Um, and I, you know, I am, I am comfortable that um, the decisions that were made are going to be um, reviewed, uh, uh, you know, either th through the various means we have. But right now, you know, the investigation is, uh, I think, uh, close to being completed. And I hope that we can get the report from Director Mueller as soon as we as possible. Ah, so, um, okay, guys. Live radio. We are having our guest on at 3.40, not, uh, not 3.20, which is our normal time to have a guest on. So we're doing fine here. Um, I want to get over to, I have two other things that I want to get to. First off, you just heard him. He's saying it's coming to a close. We haven't seen any indictments on Russian collusion. We haven't seen anybody pointing to the president and saying, you, you know, horrible, blah, blah, blah. We, so we're good to go. We, we're, when I say we're good to go, what I'm saying is the president has not yet been uh, 
proven to have done anything wrong here. And that is the impetus for the Democrats seeking to impeach him. And I honestly think that the tidal waves that are currently running against the president will reverse in some measure if he is found not to have done anything wrong in the Russia collusion investigation. And that's what the Democrats are going to be looking for. Anything within the report that they can use to point and say, well, he did do this. Well, he did lie about that. Well, look, he's, you know, anything they can find. And they're also planning on pulling up some uh, some information about his um, his taxes. They want to, you know, expose his tax returns, which is interesting. Because speaking of taxes, Elizabeth Warren, you know, she's recently been in the news for proposing this new wealth tax. She actually opted out of voluntary higher tax rate in Massachusetts. So in Massachusetts, they raised taxes, but they said, for all you rich people who want to pay the higher tax, you can, but we're not going to force you to because they knew if they continued to raise taxes and to make it mandatory and compulsory, people would continue to leave the state. And rich people have dive-bombed out of Massachusetts like it's nobody's business. Well, what she did was over the course of a decade, she opted out of paying the voluntary increased tax rate only beginning to pay it in 2017 when she decided she was running for the presidency. She saved over $50,000 by doing that. So basically, she proposes an ultra-millionaire tax that would place a flat 2% tax on individual fortunes of more than 15 million. 50 million, sorry, 50 million. It goes to 3% for those who are worth 1 billion. Her team says it would raise nearly $3 trillion over a decade. She doesn't even say what she wants to do uh, about that. The Washington Post, which is hardly a conservative organization, says its implementation would be difficult and the potential impediments to the wealthy who renounce their citizenship reek of authoritarianism because she says she would impose a tax on renouncing your citizenship. In their 2017 return filed last April in an election year, Warren and husband Bruce Mann checked the box to pay the higher 5.85% income tax rate on their $956,634 of taxable income that year, rather than paying the state's 5.1%. It came out to $55,947. But in the nine previous years, she posted all 10 years of returns on her website last summer, they paid the standard tax rate each time. The optional higher tax rate has been offered in Massachusetts starting in uh, 2002. So their decision to pay the lower tax rate saved them thousands of dollars each year. The total savings came out to more than $51,000 over the past 10 years. When asked for comment, um, she said, you know, I don't have a comment. But right before Election Day, she said, well, I'll give, you know, I'll give it a look. Um, It's funny Because Warren and Mann actually, and Mann is her husband, their taxable income jumped from $413,000 plus in 2012 when she was running for Senate the first time to $1,054,000 and change in 2013. So in one year, she more than doubled her taxable income. And that was the year that she became a senator. Then in 2014, it leapt to 1.5, almost 1.6 million before falling to 1.1 million in 2015 and 745,000 in 2016. Warren's decision to pay the higher tax last fall and reported 
that 894 out of more than 2 million individual Massachusetts taxpayers chose to pay the higher rate. So 894 Massachusetts taxpayers out of more than 2 million who were eligible to pay it opted to pay the higher rate. Only 1,200 Massachusetts residents on average since 2002 have opted to pay the higher rate, adding about 250000 annually to the state's coffers. Massachusetts has a budget of about $40 billion, so the extra quarter million comes to 0.000625% of the budget. So why is this important? Because you guys know I don't give, um, I don't give a care about how much money people make or how much tax they opt to pay. I think it's the smartest thing for you to do is to use the tax laws to pay the least amount of tax that you can um, because that is the way the laws are set up. And so you should utilize them to pay the least that you can. But what I do care about is when people have double standards and they lie and say that they really think everyone who's rich should pay a lot of tax and then she has been avoiding it for 10 years. If she truly believed that, then she would pay the higher tax rate and she would also give some of that money away. And the secondary question is, what did Elizabeth Warren do to earn over a million dollars when she was earning around 400000 the year before? Was it paid speaking engagements? Did she write a book? Did her book sales increase exponentially because she was a sitting senator? That's what I'd like to know. Not because I care but because I'm interested in how people make money and because she posted her tax return. So why not? Why not share? I'm sure it's something, you know, I'm not, I'm not alleging any illegality here, but it's just funny to me that she's making so much money and she doesn't seem to have a problem with it, but she wants to tax people who are worth 50 billion or 50 million, sorry, 50 million. So she, she sets the arbitrary limit at which you've made too much money. You don't set it. She does. Anyway, um, last topic here really quickly. A study shows that Alzheimer's looks to be caused by gum disease. It's called Porphyrinomus gingivalis, a key bacteria in chronic gum disease, and it appears to be the cause of Alzheimer's. This is according to research done, uh, a slew of recent studies actually, focusing on the connection between gum disease and Alzheimer's. Researchers from the firm Cortexme now believe their latest study shows P. gingivalis as the cause of the tragic memory loss disease, not a symptom. This is a fascinating bit of information because basically if you floss your teeth and see your dentist regularly and do not develop gum disease or reverse gum disease because it's reversible, you can pretty much eliminate your chance of having Alzheimer's. They're also working on a cure. It's good news. Anyway, when we get back, we'll have our guests. Be right back. This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. A District of Columbia restaurant is $7,000 poorer because a mentally ill man dressed as a woman demanded use of a restroom designated for women. Clyde Clymer was inside the ladies' room when an employee asked for identification. The employee then asked Clymer to leave the establishment. He reported the incident to the D.C. Attorney General's office as a violation of the district's Human Rights Act. But they weren't done. The $7,000 fine is only one aspect of the punishment. The restaurant is now required to post signage telling everyone that they are free to use the restroom of their gender identity or expression. 
The transgendered man also received an undisclosed settlement amount for his troubles. The employee who asked for ID was terminated. So you see, this isn't about tolerance or love or anything resembling liberty guaranteed by the Constitution. It's about making everyone bow down to the left's ideological hobby horse. I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com. There are many ways you can listen to the shows of Urban Family Talk. One of those ways is through our very own app. Whether you have an iPhone or an Android, just go to the App Store and search for Urban Family Talk. You'll have immediate access to 24-hour programming as well as the podcast for each show. You'll be able to tune in no matter where you are. Speaking of tuning in, we have our own channel on another radio app called TuneIn. Cool, right? Urban Family Talk is everywhere. Just download the app and take us wherever you go. The church has to take the lead in ensuring that men are properly trained for fatherhood. We have an epidemic in which boys are not growing up with their fathers. So as Christian men, we have to stand in the gap and make up the hedge so that our communities are not destroyed. When we see fatherhood as a blessing and not an inconvenience, we will see children as spiritual weapons in our arsenal. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. (laughs) Join us in the battle to strengthen fatherhood. UrbanFamilyTalk.com Securing America. Middle schools in Iowa are taking gun safety into their own hands, training students how to safely use a weapon like a rifle and shotgun. Steve Martin, a naturalist at the Butler County Conservation Board, says the call from the county school district was unexpected. He will help lead the training program. It starts out with just kind of why we do hunter education um, and then goes into some of the ways of how firearms work. The program will be integrated into the physical education program beginning in February. Critics like Kyle Ann Hunter, vice president for the Brady Center to Prevent Gun Violence, says these students are too young. These are kids that don't quite have the cognitive capacity yet to understand the difference between an unloaded or maybe simulated gun that they're using in training and a loaded gun that may be at home. The program will be mandatory for 7th and 8th grade students and optional for high schoolers. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. Thank you for being with us today. Find out more at StacyOnTheRight.com, at StacyOnTheRight on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, hit the subscribe button. We would love to have you with us. Right now, it's my pleasure to welcome Jeremy Diss. Deputy General Counsel for First Liberty. Jeremy, thank you for joining the show today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we were, I I put you in the wrong spot on the show sheet, so we were calling you earlier, probably totally messing up some meeting you were doing, but we're together now. (laughs) So, um, yeah, we're all set. So let's talk about this is uh, School Choice Week, National School Choice Week. And it's really exciting because more communities than ever across the country are hosting events and really celebrating what has become not just a movement, but a new way of life for many families who were not getting what they needed for their kids in the traditional education system of K through 12 public school. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's a good week to stir all, all available options for folks to figure out exactly what works best for them. So let's talk about School District of Abington Township versus Shemp. The court concluded that it might be said that one's education is not complete without a study of comparative religion or the history of religion and its relationship to the advancement of civilization. It certainly may be said that the Bible is worthy of study 
for its literary and historic qualities. And this is what is being used as the impetus for a number of legislators, one in Florida and possibly others around the country, who want to reintroduce the Bible back into curriculum for America's public school students to actually read and learn. Yeah, that's exactly right. And really what the debate is going on right now, uh, the president kind of shifted the, the ground on everybody by well, the way he normally does it, right? By putting something out on Twitter, uh, lauding in this case, uh, the thought that some states are having right about uh, offering uh, an opportunity for students to uh, to study the Bible during uh, public school times. I mean, look, whether or not want to do that or should do that, I'll leave that to the politicians to have that debate. I'm certain they don't have some of them on your show to do that. But what they need to understand is that they can, that it is in fact lawful for uh, public schools to be able to teach program on the Bible. Now, they've got to do that the right way. It's really great enough to call the Bible and its influence, in which they're taking a look at various literature, including the hate there, the various uh, cultural impacts that have been made by the Bible, artist art that has been derived from the Bible, a variety of things that touch upon our Western civilization, history, geography, etc., that are all part of that, that, uh, as you as you read at the top of the show, are a good opportunity for us to, to not only study, but uh, as the court said, your education might not be complete without this study, either comparative religion or history of religion or uh, the advancement of civilization. Another court put it really interestingly. They said, look, to ignore the role of the Bible in the vast area of these secular subjects is to ignore a keystone in the building of an arch, at least insofar as Western history, values, and culture are concerned. Uh, and so it's, it's an important thing for our society, and we ought not fear it. Well, I mean, I don't fear it. Um, I, I, when our kids were in public school, I made sure they memorized the Bible um, at home. And now that they're in Christian school, I don't have to do as much at home because they have actual Bible classes and theology classes that they they are going through as, in the course of their curriculum. But for most parents, they they don't feel equipped to do it themselves, and most people really who are Christians, uh, you know, don't they, I don't I don't even really think people consider how little uh, the Bible is referenced or how it's been kind of everything that refers to the Bible in literature has been wiped out or there's a little caveat that's added. You know, that's a religious such and so and so to kind of demean it. And what this is doing is saying in order to understand our culture, in order to stand, understand you know, America, our founding at the history of this country, what people believed when this country was founded, why things are the way they are, you have to understand the religious aspect. And for a lot of Americans who are completely unchurched, statistics show that the millennials are the most unchurched generation, except the ones coming behind them who will be the new most unchurched generation. They're, they don't understand what it has to do. That, that's right. And I think really at a very basic level, Really basic. If the left would stop hyperventilating for a moment and realize that it's going to be really hard for you to talk about Shakespeare or Michelangelo or Leonardo da Vinci or, or a variety of things, it's hard for you. It's hard for me to get through law school without having a reference point to um, you know, Robbie and Moses. You know, so pretty when it comes to the evolution of the law throughout our civilization. So all, all that the president said was. This is probably a good idea. And if lawmakers and politicians and consultation with parents and local communities decide that we'd love to provide an opportunity for students to do that, there are a number of lawful ways to be 
able to do that. You can do it as a part of a curriculum. you got to do it correctly. Bible on Simplest is a really good way to, to use the curriculum for that for high school levels. But you can do it before school. You can do it after school. It's time for students to go to that during the middle of the day. They go study uh, religion off campus somewhere by with a local church or a local synagogue or mosque or whatever you want. There's a way for people to be able to do that. Uh, we ought not hear it. The fact that we're looking at uh, the study of what people have studied for literally millennia and in our country centuries um, as some sort of scary, big ordeal that might threaten the institution of our country is just ludicrous. And it shows you how far we've gone from understanding how key a role that that uh, particular book is in our society to one how the people are afraid to even crack. Yeah, I, I think it's funny. Um, well, not funny, haha, but ironic that um, sometimes, you know, as this, this has happened to me as a parent where someone uh, was when the kids were smaller and some of it is their temperament, which I think they get from their dad. Cause I was a little bit of a hellcat when I was a kid, but my husband's really laid back and the kids are, they've, they've always been pretty well behaved. Not to say that they haven't misbehaved, but they are pretty well behaved. And I remember, um, when a mom asking me at school and she wasn't a Christian, the kids were in public school. And she was like, I just don't understand your kids are well behaved when they're told to do something, they do it. And I said, well, we spank their butts and we make them memorize scripture. And she's, she was so shocked. Her eyebrows went up and her eyes bugged out. And she was like, seriously? And I said, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, that's what we do. And, and so I, I wasn't expecting her to be shocked. I thought she'd laugh because that's what she was doing, but she wasn't. And so she said, Bible scripture? And you actually spank them? I was like, it's very rare. But yes, we, we spank them because they're small and they need it. And... They actually memorize scripture every night before bed. And she said, and that's why they listen to you? And I said, I think that's why, because that's, I, I can't think of any other reason why they'd want to listen to me other than maybe I could take away their toys. I, I think people really don't understand what a, a, it's a calming normative effect that the word of God has on young minds, that it, it really shapes them in a way that you can't do with, you know, Mozart CDs or, or and those are great. I'm, I'm not against any of the other, you know, things that people use, but you need God's word to help you be able to be wise and to help you think. And that's something that that's lost on a lot of parents nowadays. Well, at a very consider the fact that the Bible is, if not the, in the top five most selling books in all of history, but it's the most popular book across every culture throughout the world uh, as it happens uh, throughout the, the centuries here. But we're told somehow that's the one you're not supposed to study whatsoever. Study as much as you want of Chaucer and of Shakespeare and all these other great authors, and goodness sakes, it's worth studying all of them. But that's the one that apparently is left off the list. Uh, read, read all the Harry Potters you can, and the Chronicles of Narnia, all are good books, but this is the one that we're going to keep limits in a literature course. This doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. Uh, but it, again, I'll just restate what I said earlier. Whether or not politicians think we should do that, that's a different question. That's something that the local communities need to have a voice in, need to discuss and discuss well. Whether or not they're permitted to do so to the law, that question settled. They are. And if they want to do that, there's a way to be able to do that. Uh, look, at the local community level, we'd be happy to, to, uh, to provide some advice as to how to do that. Mm, I, I'm, I'm just excited that it's coming back to the fore. I said years ago, um, back when I first got on radio, I was like, you know what? If people keep going this way, it won't be that 
you know, politicians are saying we should or shouldn't have the Bible. It'll be parents demanding it be put back in because the schools will be that bad. And if you look at last year's school shootings and uh, the prevalence of violence and all the different things that are going on in schools and the culture and kids themselves, parents are scared and they should be. But the answer is not to cower in fear. It's to go back to our roots. And what really worked in the past was that we all knew the Bible. And whether or not we believed it was still our personal choice, but we all knew what it said and it had an effect on us. And we need to get back to that. And I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Um, you know, sorry about the mix up on the time, but thank you for joining us. Jeremy Dis, Deputy General Counsel for First Liberty. Thank you for your time. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. All right. Talk to you again soon. Um, we, I, all I want to stress to people and, you know, for this is Christian radio. We have a Christian audience. And so, you know, I'm, I'm speaking to the home team here, but there is no too much scripture memorization. Think about how much TV your kids watch. I'm not condemning you. My kids watch TV too. Uh, actually my kids are not as enamored with television anymore. They have their YouTube channels that they subscribe to and they watch screens. But the point is when our kids were smaller, I had a lot more control over how much television they watched. There was no TV watching during the week. No, not during the school year. And on the weekend, you could watch a show. It wasn't let me watch TV. It was can I watch a show? And they would watch an episode of SpongeBob. And if I was really feeling generous, they could watch two or three episodes of SpongeBob. And then cut the TV off, you know, go do something else. Read, play Legos, go outside in the backyard and swing, whatever. And it really, I think, was helpful for them because they got to develop their other skills because they weren't spending all their time in front of a television. Now, the problem is, of course, our, uh, the two children who are still in high school are going to a school where they use a, an iPad uh, that, that is mandatory. You have to have an iPad to be there. And so it's all day long with this iPad. Now, they still have textbooks. They still have books. But it is just ridiculous that um, they spend so much time looking at a screen as opposed to looking at the teacher, talk to them, lecture them, looking at books and writing with their hands. So this is something that we have to push back on. And we're never going to have it as easy as we did before these screens were a part of our lives. We just, we didn't know how good we had it back then. And we'll never have it that good again. And so I have to circle back around. Um, first off, when we were listening to that audio about the Mueller investigation being complete, I just wanted to make the point that um, this is not new news. Even before Mr. Whitaker's comments, there had been signs that the probe was nearing conclusion, including the moving ahead with the sentencing of several cooperating defendants. And remember, as we heard from um, the audio from last week, um, that we knew that all of these are process crimes. They have nothing to do with the central scope of the investigation. Um, we, we had, it was Alan Dershowitz who was explaining how there, there isn't anything having to do with Russian collusion or election tampering um, that any of them have been convicted of, these, these Trump world affiliates. And what was interesting is for some reason I thought that Jerome Corsi had some close connection with the Trump campaign. But you just heard him last hour on the show. He said he didn't. Not only did he not have a uh, close connection to the campaign, he had only ever spoken to Donald Trump in passing when Donald Trump cracked a joke about him in Trump Tower. So, again, you know, I'm hoping the Humiliation Express is, is, is revved up, coal-fired, 
gas fired, whatever they use nowadays, and it's ready to come through. And I want to close out the program uh, by stressing again that the movie Gosnell, it's going to be uh, released next week. It's Tuesday, February 4th on DVD. Remember, the 5th is the President's State of the Union Address. I'm encouraging you to get a group of friends together and watch it as, watch it as friends. Um, take in what the President has to say as friends, the reactions. Nancy Pelosi will be visible behind him uh, as Speaker of the House. So we'll get to see her pressing her lips together and sucking on you know, the worst kinds of sour olives, but whatever. Um, Tuesday is when this movie is going to come out on DVD, and I encourage you to get it. You can get it on Amazon, Best Buy, or Walmart not available at the AFA store, but that's okay. These other options are available to you and easily accessible. Gosnell is the enlightening true story of the prolific abortion doctor who was successfully convicted of serial murder. And the reason why it's so important for you to take the time out to watch it, even though it is disturbing and upsetting to watch, is that that's what we're called to do. We're the adults here. We're called to know what is going on in our world so we know how to pray. And, um, I want to give you the quote from Kermit Gosnell after he was convicted. And this man is a truly diabolical, evil man. He said, I continue to feel optimistic of the eventual outcome, the vindication of what I've done, why I've done it, and how it will become accepted within my lifetime. He was convicted in Philadelphia of three counts of first-degree murder for snipping with scissors the necks of infants who had been born alive, 21 counts of felony late-term abortion, among other charges. His unlicensed staff members were convicted of theft by deception for performing medical procedures, abortions for which they were untrained and unqualified. And this evil man said he would be vindicated and New York State has just done so. If he were convicted in New York, he could use their new law to overturn his conviction or at least try to. Let's pray about this, Christians. It's up to us. God bless you from the heartland. I'll be back with you tomorrow.